Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, we are rolling right along with our 2023 team outlooks. Uh, we are officially over halfway there as uh, as of 30 seconds ago when we started recording. We are doing the New York Liberty today, which should I say your New York Liberty? Because previously it was your Connecticut Sun, but I think you actually go to more Liberty games now, right? Definitely go to more Liberty games. Um, certainly going to be easier to invest, be invested in this Liberty team. Uh, happy to be starting the second half of our outlooks. And Eric, I think we're getting to the point where rolling right along is turning into the uh, the say the line Bart meme a little bit yeah, the here. Say the line. Rolling right along. Um, it's, it's part of the intro now. <laughs> but the the Liberty last year in 2022, they were 16 and 20, good for seventh in the standings, negative three. Net rating, that was 8th in the league. They were ninth in offense with a 99 offensive rating, all the way up to 7th in defense, Eric. 102 defensive rating. They were the 7th seed in the playoffs and, of course, lost to your Chicago Sky in a three-game series that was pretty fun for two out of those three games. Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty fun series. Um, they surprisingly took Game 1 on Chicago's home court. Second game... Not much of a contest, but then that third game, you know, it wasn't really truly decided until the final minutes. So, um, yeah, they gave the defending champs a good run for their money, and they only got better, like a lot better this previous this past offseason. Yeah, we will certainly talk extensively about what this team will look like. Extensively. Uh, did want to talk about 2022 for a minute here. They they only moved up one spot in the standings from 2021 the, the first season with Benajah Laney and Natasha Howard, but the negative three net rating that they posted last year was a pretty significant improvement from that 2021 team that I think overperformed their net rating. Uh, who They also made the playoffs. If you remember, they were the eighth seed. They, again, had a pretty competitive playoff showing on on phoenix's home floor you know took them right down to the end of that game but they were a negative eight net rating over the course of the regular season they were in the bottom four in offense in the bottom four in defense i want to say they were maybe 10th or 11th in in both of those so what's uh, that we always say like they they won games by three points and they lost games by a dozen points or something like that yeah they basically every loss was by like 20 points and every win you know was by the skin of their teeth but you know i think two big factors for the overall improvement last year one of them was definitely health specifically for natasha howard she played in 35 games last year up from 13 her first season in new york Um, And, you know, I think both things are true that she was not the player last year that earned her the Supermax contract in 2019, uh, you know, when she was defensive player of the year and was anchoring that Seattle offense with Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart out before they uh, won their second title in three years in 2020. Um, But even the player that she was in 2022 was just a huge improvement over who was playing major minutes while she was injured the previous season. Uh, I think Sabrina Ionescu was also just a much different player physically on her ankle than she was the previous season. You know, she started and played in every single game, which was not the case the, the prior year when she had to miss some time dealing with the ankle injury that, that she had suffered the previous season in the bubble. Uh, and then just, you know, the the roster was much improved. Like, I think much more... I guess, aggregate improvement than I had anticipated kind of going into the season. You know, there was obviously some question coming into the year as to whether we would see Maureen Johannes at all end up making it over, which, you know, she did. And and I think we definitely want to talk about that at some point. But she was a high level contributor in a way that they did not have the previous season. And then the big rotation, aside from Howard being healthy, you know, minutes that in 2021 were being taken up by Michaela Onyenwere, and Kylie Shook and Kia Stokes and Rashonda Gray, like those were being taken up by Stephanie Dolson and, and Hanju. And, you know, those two players were vastly superior, I think, to the, the players that I had mentioned and that gave this team a lot of minutes in 2021. Dolson, I think I was a little skeptical of, of that signing. Like, how much did she really solve their weaknesses? Well, you know, like we had said, it turns out just having good basketball players, even if they she don't didn't make them worse. Yeah. Even if they don't check every single box for what you need out of a player, you know, she was just a much better player than, than what they had previously. And then on the perimeter, you know, minutes that were taken up by Jasmine Jones and Liana Odom were taken up by Maureen Johannes and Crystal Dangerfield. So even though in 2022, unlike this past off season, they kind of struck out on their 
major star acquisitions in the offseason, you know, they were just able to play way more average to above average WNBA players. And it was, again, they only moved up one seed in the standings, but on a game-to-game basis, like, they were just much more competitive, I think. And that was after the month of May. Um, This team started out terribly. I I vividly remember saying, this is the worst team in basketball, right, Stephen? They were 1-7 in in May with a negative 17.7 net rating. So from from May onward, from June onward, they were were passable. You know, they were, I would say, about average. Um, Certainly better than they were than they started out. It's kind of interesting. You you brought up the parallel between um, the 2022 Liberty and the 2021 Liberty. When the 2021 Liberty got off to a hot start, which was clearly unsustainable, whereas the 2022 Liberty got off to an atrocious start, but then slowly clawed their way back up into the standings, you know, thanks in part to, you know, getting healthy and getting better basketball players in the rotation. But one term that I think you always used for the 2021 Liberty was they ran out so many no-hope lineups, and that just wasn't the case with the 2022 squad. Like, they they just had more depth. Yeah, and I think that was... um you know, here's what I want to talk about. Marine Johannes, you know, we, we talked extensively about Sabrina Inescu in, in the 25 players under uh, 25 and under. I don't want to go too deep into her previous season last year, but we have to talk about Marine Johannes and the turnaround that you just outlined, you know, that coincided largely with Marine Johannes showing up. The Liberty, they were four and eight when Marine showed up. They had a 93 offensive rating in the 12 games that Marine did not play in, and they were just much more capable offensively. In the 24 games with Marine Johannes, 10 points per 100 possessions better on offense, 103 offensive rating. So they struggled mightily, I think, in you know secondary creation and bench creation, all the, the minutes that Sabrina Inescu was off the floor, and you know they were able to both sustain those minutes a little bit better from that point forward, but also have two high-level creators on the floor at the same time uh, with Sabrina and Marine in the game at the same time. And Marine's individual season was amazing. 63.7% true shooting, 14 points and five assists per 36 minutes. She was 53% from two, 43.7% from three, which, you know, that's a a pretty high number. You know, maybe there was a little bit of shooting luck in there, but 47% on catch and shoot attempts, 42% on threes off the dribble on even higher volume than her catch and shoot attempts. So, I mean, the player that we got from Maureen Johannes last year, like this is exactly what we've been waiting for from Maureen since, you know, her initial season in 2019. She's just truly a special offensive player. I'm not sure how many other guards in the WNBA or adjacent to the WNBA just have her combination of passing chops and her jump shot versatility. Of course, the uh, the behind-the-head pass to Stephanie Dolson in that game against Chicago got all the highlights, as it, as it should have, but the way she's able to just raise the level of her teammates' play through her own passing ability is is special. You know, I, I, hate, I, I usually hate the term makes her teammates better, but Mourinho Hannes really does do that, not just as a passer, but as an outside shooter. You know, we always talk about the effect uh, having just one more floor spacer out there. And it's not even just floor spacing. Like, she can hit threes off the dribble. She can hit threes coming off screens. She just has such a deadly jump shot. It waxes and wanes. As you said, you know, uh, 42% on threes off the dribble was pretty high. I wouldn't expect it to replicate that. But just that extra high-level playmaking threat next to Sabrina Ionescu really made all the difference. Correlation does not necessarily equal causation, but when you say... Their offense was significantly better after Marine Johannes arrived. I'd say there's there's definitely something to that. So she's just she's just a ceiling raiser, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think she helped their transition game, which I think desperately needed a little bit of, you know, one more jolt in there. She was third on the team in total transition possessions, despite, you know, missing a full third of the season basically. She, I think, won them multiple games last year. Uh, you know, the last game of the season against the Dream to clinch the playoff spot. I think you could definitely make an argument that with her high-level passing and uh, some of her shot making that she won them that first game in Chicago in the playoffs, early games in the season as well, where she, you know, made an immediate impact uh, coming off the bench. And it just felt like several times, you know, they were they were kind of getting down in the early part of the first quarter and Maureen would come in and just hit a couple impossible threes off the bounce and, you know, the, the Liberty were, were right back in it. So, you know, a player that we've both 
had our eyes on for a long time. One of the most exciting players in basketball. And uh, we hope that the WNBA changes its mind with prioritization and we're able to see her uh, year in and year out. You know, I think we can kind of get to, to 2023 here and, and talk about how Marine might fit into to the rest of this team. So a lot of turnover, Eric. They, yeah. they will no longer have on their roster Natasha Howard, Sammy Whitcomb, Rebecca Allen, Crystal Dangerfield, or Michaela Onyenwere, a group that made up just about 50% of their total minutes played last season. That's too bad, but they're replacing it with uh, Brianna Stewart, John Cole Jones, Courtney Vandersloot, Kayla Thornton, and Epiphany Prince. So I'd say they could take that trade off. That's that's not a bad return. No, uh, things are looking pretty good, I pretty think. Decent. Uh, they also did sign 2000. 22 draft picks near Sabali and Sika Kone. Um, yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about the end of the roster first. There's a lot to kind of talk about. you know. <laughs> Which the, is what everyone wants to hear, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We'll get to the core, uh, uh, you know, the, the high-end star talent that this team has. But I think the end of the roster is pretty interesting because they have the eight protected slots in, you know, basically the, the veteran players that you would expect along with Jocelyn Willoughby who are, you know, basically guaranteed to, to make this roster spot. So a lot of players fighting for the final three spots on this team, as uh, a lot of high-end teams, they can only carry 11. Um, so they're basically looking at, to start, until Marine Johannes gets here, uh, Epiphany Prince, Dee Dee Richards, Hanju, Nira Sabli, and Sika Kone. Um, much like we discussed uh, whenever we did the mystics episode with christy tolliver in the mystics like one of these spots will probably be a holdover spot for marine when when she joins the team so they'll start with three of those five players and eventually probably end up with only two of them you know eric we we talk often about overstuffing your limited roster spots with too many bigs Uh, it's kind of become a recurring theme on this podcast a little bit but it does kind of feel like that's sort of more so than in other situations, a little bit more of where like the high end upside talent might be uh, when you're looking at, you know, who might help this team two or three years from now. Right. Well, sure. Um, because I think you know, this, you're right. This end of the bench competition between Kone, Zhu and Savali in particular is very interesting because, you know, each of them has a little bit of volatility in their situation. You know, we don't know if Hanju is going to show up. I don't believe someone can correct me on that if I'm wrong, but we're not 100% if she's going to be playing this season. Um, Sabali, you know, she's missed a lot of time with injuries in her young career, unfortunately. Uh, Sika Kone, this is going to be her first WNBA contract, so we don't know what's going on there. Um, and they undoubtedly all bring their own strengths and weaknesses. I think I think if, if Hanju was a guarantee to show up, like that would that spot would just be hers. Yeah, I she think played, if, if she's here, she's going to make the team. Yeah, she played very well last year. At times, even outplaying Stephanie Dolson, who was their third big. So, um, but like, there's just not a lot of certainty going on here, and they're all young players who I think there's a little bit of with, with Kone in particular. You know, inter- international players who I think uh, the the usual WNBA fan may not be familiar with, or their game might be not be familiar with, and at the rate that these young players develop. Heck, I mean, C.K. Kone right now could be completely different than C.K. Kone from a year ago. You know, like the player that, that they're getting in training camp now could be completely different than the player they drafted originally in 2022. So, yeah, you know, it, when, when you talk about like a overstuffing your roster with bigs, that's definitely something I don't think either of us really like. But it does kind of make sense doing so in this scenario because none of these players are really a sure thing. Do, so you, who, do, you, do you have any uh, preference, I guess, you know, not having seen Sabli for so long, the limited film, I think that, you know, we've probably watched on Sika Kone. Do, do you have a read on, you know, who you think you might prefer for that spot? Uh, I mean, I would prefer Hanju, but if that, well, yeah. that kind of... Han, like I said, uh, like we both said, if, if she's here, she's going to make the team. So you think... That goes without saying. Yeah. Um, I think I think Sabli is the more skilled player, but I think Kone is one, less of an injury risk. And two, I think is just better equipped to fill the fill the energy rebounder type of role that you're going to want from the other player in this big rotation. Because you, you've already got the star the star talent in Brianna Stewart and John Cole Jones. You've got Stephanie Dolson, who has does some very specific things on offense and does some very specific things or doesn't do some very specific things on defense. So I think in order, you just need to complement that with somebody who is willing to, you know, hit the glass for every single minute she's out there and just 
play with energy and out hustle her respective uh, matchup. And I think Kone has a better chance of doing that than Savali does. Yeah, I think it it seems without having any measurements or anything like that, I think Kone probably has a little bit better length. Yeah. You know, more kind of, I guess, traditional athleticism, even though Saboli is not short on athleticism by any means, but uh, more of a, like you said, kind of like finished offensive product, much more kind of like skilled scoring with the basketball. Kone, I think, you know, more, like you're saying, plays is going to give you just a little bit more intensity in that way. It's going to, you know, run the floor maybe a little bit harder in both directions. You know, she's like also Sable, like two, two and a half years younger for what it's worth. That's true. That's true. Like Sable can handle the ball in the open court, but it's like, okay, so what? You've got two other bigs who can do that. Um, and again, I got to go back to the injuries. I don't want to, I don't want to say like, okay, Sable injury prone. You got to watch out for that. But I mean, again, if you look at the situation, when it comes down to, two pretty unknown quantities, I think taking the player who has a much better chance of staying healthy is, you know, I think there's something to that. In the backcourt, it looks like a spot, at least for now, will come down to either D.D. Richards or Epiphany Prince, you know, as opposed to the players that we were just talking about who are all sort of young, unproven, kind of upside flyers. This is very much a contrast of... Yeah, we um, know what we're getting from each player. Yeah, the the young younger more athletic more i guess floor game oriented as opposed to epiphany prince you know the legend uh, a scorer who do you think would be more helpful for this team winning games this year dd richards or epiphany prince i mean honestly i don't think either player is going to be really impacting winning like that um i would choose epiphany prince on my roster though i think this team this is a team that's built to win now steven and the more vets you really have, I mean, D.D. Richards technically, a vet, I don't know, what do you call, would a three-year player be a vet? I don't know. But I would say not not really in this way. Epiphany yeah. Prince has a lot more experience than D.D. Richards does, particularly playing that position that they're going to need her to play. Like, you can play D.D. Richards all over the floor, but I'm not really sure what she brings uh, that Epiphany Prince doesn't at that, for things that you need at that position, you know. Um, Prince probably won't be playing that much. You know, like, you're going to be staggering... UNESCO and Vanderslew to the point guard, right? And then when Johannes comes over, it's going to be almost a completely moot point. But you, you, know, you mean, imagine either one is probably the last perimeter player off the bench. Yeah, yeah, and and well, look at what look at what both of these players brings. Um, I mean, Richards, to her credit, she has carved out a niche in her WNBA career, her young WNBA career, by playing her rear off. You know, she she has a great feel for the game on offense. She cuts very well. She hustles you know I, I think there there is something to that um she just kind of does that dirty work out there brings those intangibles whereas prince i think her her impact is more box score oriented and of course you can point you can take that and say well prince's impact in the box score just hasn't been there in recent seasons well okay but i'm not sure what dd Dee Dee richards brings to this roster that kayla thornton doesn't already bring to the roster we were talking about when, when they made this acquisition from Kayla Thornton, like, hey, we really like this acquisition. She's somebody who has a nose for the ball, will hit the glass, doesn't need the ball in her hands to be effective. That's basically everything that Dee Dee Richards does, but just better. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you in, in some respects. Prince obviously has like a much more, you know, she has a more obvious WNBA skill. Like she's going to more often than not be above 35% from three. You know, she's probably not going to give you too much inside the arc anymore probably not going to give you too much on the defensive end anymore but when your offense is starved like some of those seattle bench units the last three years you know she can give you some kind of off the dribble shooting especially you know from three she's been pretty good off the dribble in seattle the last few years 46 percent from three off the dribble over the last three seasons i disagree with you though i think you know for what she's bringing there's so much more overlap on the roster which is just basically you know, second unit shot creation. That That's kind of what you're bringing Epiphany Prince in for is to just give your offense a little bit extra. I think she's probably less effective. She's Her, her numbers, I guess, were less effective off the ball than I had anticipated, and, and she is more kind of rely, reliant on that off the dribble three game. You know, can give you, I guess, a, a little bit of creation for others, and, and she never really turns it over, which, you know, is great for, I guess, kind of what you're looking for from that archetype. But when you have... As we'll get to, when you can always have one of these high leverage point guards that New York has on roster, I think Epiphany Prince 
there's just a lot more overlap there. Where Dee Dee, yeah, maybe she doesn't do those things as well as Kayla Thornton, but you know, she she gives you more activity, more cutting, more diving for loose balls. I, I think when you have such a veteran laden roster, that one player that kind of plays with intensity and athleticism more so than is much more skill based and is not going to play with a lot of force athletically. I think that can be a really valuable thing in the regular season. You know, who, who knows if Didi ends up being that player. Uh, and she's obviously a player who, who has her own holes in a lot of ways, right? Like she has not been able to be an effective player from two so far in her career. Like she just cannot finish over a contest at all, even over like smaller or like size players. But she can get herself pretty good looks at the rim just with her like basket cutting and uh, particularly how apt defenses are to just ignore her i think she she's been able to kind of take advantage of that okay yeah that's true but i i just don't know like if this team and i don't even think that dd richards is necessarily this player but the case for dd richards is like late in games who else are they going to go to like for defense only possessions you know if you need to sub out you know, Kayla Thornton can only play one position at a time. Like you, you kind of need uh, offense, defense possessions, especially if you're going to go against the highest level competition. And, and maybe that's kind of the role that she is able to carve out for herself on this team. But, you know, I think also that her defense has maybe been a little bit overstated in her limited WNBA career. But I, I think that's probably the case for it. Well, speaking of which, is, is Ben Agilani going to return, return to the defensive presence she was in previous seasons? Yeah, I think that's a, a huge question for this team. So I, I think we disagree here. I think I would kind of go with Didi over Prince, and it sounds like you're more leaning Prince. I disagree, but I can I can understand your points, especially yeah, if especially if you um, if you factor in just the amount of collective passing this team is going to play with. I think they're gonna, I think they're going to be second to none in terms of collective passing or value added passing. And if a player like Richards, who is so keen on cutting to the basket and, and finding those open shots at the rim throughout moving without the ball, yeah. She could probably make some hay in that department. But my question is, is it going to be enough to... Well, two questions. One, is it going to be over enough to overcome her rest of the, the rest of her offensive deficiencies? And two, how much is she actually going to play when Johannes shows up? Let's talk about the players that will play heavy, heavy minutes. Yeah, let's actually yeah, let's talk team. about what everyone wants, to, wants us to talk about here. I imagine once everyone's available, or I get, at least once the, the games really start to matter, the eight-player playoff rotation, you know, Courtney Vandersloot, Sabrina Ionescu, Maureen Johannes, those are going to be kind of, that's your three-guard lineup, right? You know, three players taking up 80 minutes at two spots. When you have three guards that can do this level of, of playmaking and scoring and shooting, I think you really only need to play three guards in competitive minutes. I mean, the the balance of all those things between these three players, I think the defensive side of the ball aside, like this is a really special group of offensive players uh, to be able to, to play together. What do you think about the fit between Courtney Vandersloot and Sabrina Ionescu? It's tremendous. Watching Courtney Vandersloot over the past two seasons kind of take, relative to the, pre- the previous seasons before that, take a little bit of a backseat to more of the uh, the front court oriented offense that uh, the Sky ran with Candace Parker and Emma Meesman. I really like the fit because it, it means that Neither player really needs to dominate the basketball. You can really take advantage of Sabrina Ionescu's off-ball talents, obviously with that that deadly long-range jump shot. But and then if Ionescu has the ball, you know, Courtney Vandersloot put up terrific numbers as a cutter last season. I think she's one of the best cutting point guards in the WNBA, one of the best finishing point guards in the WNBA. And then between them, I don't think there's a better backcourt in the WNBA with just purely value-added passing. I mean, this team is just going to have some sick passing. Mostly from those two positions. You have you have other players on this roster who can pass well for their positions as well. But this is a case in which I think overlap is definitely a good thing. Because as the Aces showed us last year, you cannot have enough playmaking on a roster. You cannot have enough passing. You cannot have enough dribble penetration. The more the merrier in that regard. Enough players who can just create their own shot and get somebody else a high leverage yeah, shot and as it's, well. Yeah, and it's going to look a little different than that. You know, I, I don't think I don't think uh, Vandersloot is on the same level of shot creation as as Chelsea Gray or Kelsey Plummer is, but, you know, she brings her own, she passes her teammates open. That, that's, a, that's a popular phrase. Um, and then you've got two bigs who move great without the basketball and Brianna Stewart and John Cole Jones. Uh, this has the potential to be a very, very, very fun offensive team. Yeah, I, I think as, as much as 
Vandersloot did take, you know, I guess less of a ball dominating role with how well and how balanced everything was with Chicago, uh, the Candace Parker, Emma Miesemann, Sky era. You know, she hasn't really played with a guard like Sabrina, like a high usage, high playmaking, somebody that, you know, the ball was always pinging around in, in Chicago. Yeah. You know, it wasn't kind of one player who does a lot of the creation on their own. So I think it, it it's a little bit of a different situation, but I agree because Sloot is, is such, you know, she's a capable spot-up shooter. She's such a great cutter, like you said. She was so great finishing inside around the rim. I think her finishing is maybe even a little bit of an underrated skill for her, how she's able to finish oversize. Uh, and then Sabrina is a little bit more, I think, of a kind of, knockdown catch and shoot player you know 37 and a half percent on catch and shoots last year will do some off the bounce as well and i mean we we talked about marine i think marine fits pretty great with both of those players maybe sabrina a little bit better just because neither of them are really slew level offensive engines on their own so having you know to the next tier down of, of kind of primary initiators together instead of the the one i guess you know basically best one in the league uh it kind of makes things balance out a little bit but yeah very exciting to to think about these two players together and then on the wing benajelani and kayla thornton probably playing the three um i would imagine thornton slides down to the four a little bit you know maybe some three guard lineups too and then for your three bigs stewart john quo jones and, and stephanie dolson I guess my, my question about the, the kind of bigger spots in this lineup, who do you think plays more, Stephanie Dolson or Kayla Thornton? That's a good question. Because both of them, I think you can kind of pencil in for two spots, you know, in the rotation. Um, I agree. Um, I'm actually going to go Kayla Thornton. Because if you, well, actually, let me think about this for a second. Because I think a lot of that depends on how willing they are to play Stewart at center. Because that really hasn't been something that's that's been a thing since Stewart's rookie season. Um, the Storm tried it, didn't really work out, and then she was pretty exclusively a four for the rest of her Storm career. In the regular season, I I kind of think Dolson will play more. Um, oh, in the regular season, yeah, yeah, okay, I, all right, I see. You're in, in the regular season, yeah, I think you just need to have Dolson out there. It's not going to be for a lot. It's not gonna, not going to be for a long time. Um, I almost think that Kayla Thornton she's going to like shift up a little bit in the postseason. Like, maybe she'll be more of a perimeter defender during the regular season and then more of, like, a, a power forward defender during the playoffs when that, that style of defense is just... When, when Stephanie Dolson just isn't going to be able to stay on the floor. But it is it, that is a good question, though, because Dolson, obviously, more of a traditional post defender, whereas Thornton, you're going to get a lot more flexibility there and uh, maybe a little bit more ball skill. What do you think? I, I also think Dolson probably will fit what they want to do offensively a little bit more. You know, she's a better passer than Kayla Thornton. She's a better force. Oh, the screening spacer. is going to be invaluable. Yeah, the screening is going to be great. I, I wonder how much kind of off-ball game we'll see between Stephanie Dolson and, and Sabrina now that, you know, Sabrina maybe won't have the ball as, in her hands as much as past seasons. But for this team to always just be able to play two bigs, you know, the two of Brianna Stewart, John Quill Jones, and Stephanie Dolson on the floor at, at one time, and you're just never going to have to play with a clogged floor at all. Uh, if Benajah Laney and Kayla Thornton can hit their threes, I mean, what an advantage for your opening things up for your guards to be able to get dribble penetration and kind of set those players up. And I would say Stewart and John Quell and Dolson are also above average passers for their position. Like, you know, yeah. the, the level of collective passing that they have on this team, Dolson... I think we we agree, you know, maybe you're not really going to be a, a championship level contender if she's your starting center, but at, as your third big, you know, it's hard to do much better than Stephanie Dolson, you know, a former all-star and you know, she's always going to give you 37% from 3 and some very good passing and you know, maybe she's not the best defensive center in the world, but she she's a way above average offensive player for her position. And she set some uh very good legal illegal screens as well which is something that uh this team is lacking without her yeah i i do think they'll probably play a little bit of a longer bench in the regular season you know they i mentioned thornton and laney you know they they do also have jocelyn willoughby i think we'll probably see some until marine johannes gets back uh from Eurobasket. I, I think we'll probably see some pretty clunky lineups with either laney or willoughby at the two 
you know, they just don't have anything else in bench lineups. Uh, you know, Sabrina and Courtney Vandersloot can only play so many games. So it's either Willoughby or, or Dee Dee Richards or Benajah Laney as your backup two. Uh, you know, one of those None players. None your optimal, no. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little skeptical about how those lineups will work on, on both ends, honestly. I, I don't think either of them are going to be great defending twos. Willoughby, you know, maybe can just give you a little bit of floor spacing from that spot. You what know, is her role on this team going to be? I, I, it, it does seem yeah. like she's going to be the odd woman out. I mean, I imagine that they, the best case scenario is that she's sort of a, I know you hate this term, Eric, but a three and D player, you know, nah. not, doesn't have too much creation burden. We have talked a lot in the past about, you know, her limitations as a two point scorer, but her percentages from three are always pretty good. And I, I think they're penciling her in more as a perimeter defender than, you know, kind of like a, a small ball four, right? That seems to be the case. She started for this team at the shooting guard position, amazingly enough, in their opening game last year. That uh, is true, yeah. They have the same coach as they did last year. So I think that's kind of how they see her, is someone that can give them tough defense with great size for that position. I, I'm not sure I agree with how well that's going to work, but I, I think that's kind of what they have in mind, at least until they have you know all of their players yeah i mean if there's one thing willoughby can do it is it is shoot the three-pointer i'm still a little disappointed that her two-point shooting has been has been so low and it's not it's not like she was really setting the world on fire in australia either so that's kind of a shame but yeah i mean if you start at the two that is it's a holdover i mean not not starter at the two but you know play play those minutes as a backup two. i think once johannes comes over that will kind of go out the door um, is, is she going to be, is Willoughby and Richards, are they even going to be in the rotation once, uh, Johannes comes back? I would imagine not, uh, again, except for maybe, you know, maybe those are the two players that you, and it's, this isn't really in the rotation, quote unquote, but maybe those are the two players that you, you know, are subbing in when you're going offense, defense. I, I'm not oh, sure, sure, really sure, sure either of those players are, are really that type of defender, but yeah, I mean, there's there's only 40 minutes in a WNBA game. I don't know how all these players are, are going to play, but uh, I imagine, you know, if you're playing those three players even only 28 minutes a game, like you're you're kind of running out of minutes very very quickly for mm-hmm. for everybody else. So I don't think so. No, I think once once Maureen Johannes comps over, you know, maybe you have a 10 minute a game player in in one of those two, and I guess we'll see who it is. All right, now hang on. You asked who's playing more, Dolson or Thornton. What if Hanju is on the team? I like Hanju more than Stephanie Dolson at this point. I don't. I disagree with that. If you you're, disagree? I mean, I think it depends on where your team is. Like, if you're really playing against the best players, you know, in a series against the Aces, would you rather play? You're you're playing one player 18 minutes a game. You'd rather it be Hanju than Stephanie Dolson. Uh, I'm playing Brianna Stewart and John Cole Jones 40 minutes a game. <laughs> 40 minutes each. Yeah, I mean maybe that's what you're gonna have to do. I mean we've seen it with Stewie. I, I don't know if, if JJ can give you 40, but you know there's Han was great last year. Like she she exceeded our our wildest expectations. I think Dolson is more of a a known quantity, a, a fully realized basketball player. I would say you know she she's Han. I think for all of her offensive gifts, you know she was. Not a plus defensive player, even given her size. You know, I think Dolson, the three-point volume definitely favors Dolson. The passing definitely favors Dolson. You know, for as great as Han was offensively, you know, she's basically never going to pass it out once once she gets it in there. You know, she's, of course, extremely young as well. Uh, I, I don't know. I think Dolson, you know, she's she's been there before, a, a ton more experience. I don't think the gap is that big for Han. You think she's just more trusted? Yeah, I mean, she's more trusted by me, I, I would say. I would trust her more in that situation. As much as maybe during the regular season last year, I was kind of banging on the Han drum and wondering why she wasn't starting games. But That was a different situation. Though. It was a much different situation. I think, you know, in the playoffs, uh, even against Chicago last year, like Dolson showed that she belonged and, and Han was a little bit over her head. So, again, I think... If you want to give, you know, cut back on some of these players regular season minutes and, and play four bigs, something that I am not usually a fan of because I just don't think you really need to do that in a 40-minute game to get Han some run. I understand it, but I think when in in the highest leverage moments, I would be very surprised if Dolson wasn't out there uh, in, you know, at least as a backup center. Uh, there's there's so, so many things I want to hit on. Um, I think, Eric, there should basically be zero competitive minutes where this team plays a lineup that doesn't feature at least one of 
Courtney Vandersloot, and Sabrina Ionescu, and at least one of Brianna Stewart and John Quill Jones. I agree. Do you have any thoughts on kind of, you know, if you're staggering, you know, one in one, what what combos would you kind of like to see out there? I imagine there would be some experimenting, but just intuitively, is there something that kind of makes more sense to you than others? You know, I'm going to kind of have to agree with what you have in the notes here, which is uh, Brianna Stewart with Courtney Vandersloot and Sabrina Ionescu with John Cole Jones. You wanted to bring up the points of, uh, you know, Sabrina kind of needing that pick and roll partner. I don't is would you consider John Cole Jones a really good pick and roll player because I mean I guess she is but you know during her time in Connecticut they were kind of yeah not I mean doing a lot of that I certainly think she should be a very good pick and roll player there's definitely been moments for UMMC when she's been a very good pick and roll player it's it's not hard to imagine John Quill Jones with a good pick and roll guard being a very good pick and roll player. No, it isn't. And Connecticut, they didn't really have any good pick and roll guards. So one thing that we did talk about when they first got John Quill Jones before the rest of the stars came over to Liberty was John Quill Jones, her balance between popping and rolling. You know, she was she's been much more of a heavy popper than a, a roller. You know, something that definitely has its advantages, especially when you're a 37% three-point shooter like John Quill Jones is, but when you have, you know, a a real playmaking guard like Sabrina Unescu, a player who can both score in her own offense and dime you up out of the pick and roll, we hope to see, I think, a little bit more balance from John Quill attacking as a roller, using her amazing catch radius and her great finishing to, you know, just be more of a presence as a, a pick and roller, you know, diving to the hoop and attacking that way. Yeah, to kind of piggyback off what you were saying here, you know, I think Sabrina pairing her with a little bit more of a pick and roll partner. I think Sabrina is also just more of a offensive scorer than than Courtney Vandersloot. Like, I don't think that's a very controversial thing to say. And I think Brianna Stewart is just a little bit more of an offensive force than John Quill Jones. So having Sloot kind of take up less scoring usage than Sabrina, pairing that with Brianna Stewart, I think makes sense to me. Yeah, and then if you're you're probably running Brianna, you're probably running more plays for Brianna Stewart than you are for John Quill Jones. So I would trust Courtney Vanessa to get the basketball where it needs to go more than I would Sabrina Ionescu. I think those Sabrina John Quill Jones lineups, you know, when you're sort of talking about staggering, you know, non non starters versus starters, I think those lineups also would be well served to maybe have Benajah Laney out there as well to kind of just give them. A little bit of an extra ball handling, a little bit of an extra playmaker out there. As as much as I'm a believer in, you know, Sabrina is a primary initiator. I, I know there are some folks out there that think she's purely a shooting guard and uh, is basically a glorified catch and shoot player. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the I case. I don't agree. I don't agree. Um, but she could probably use the secondary creation help a little bit more than Courtney Vandersloot. And you know, there, there's probably some some chemistry already built up there from the last two seasons. I think the the counter argument to to my pairings here that that we were talking about is, you know, I just independently trust Stewart to anchor a good offense more than John Quill Jones and Vandersloot to anchor a good offense more than Sabrina. So maybe it would just make more sense intuitively to just play the better big with the the lesser of the guards and, and vice versa. Maybe that's your you know, the, the case for playing Sabrina and Stewart. But I think stylistically, I th- what we laid out here, you know, m- makes some sense to me at least. This is a very good problem to have. Something tells me, uh, you know, Sandy Brondello won't even do this at all and we won't get these staggers. Oh boy, that would be a shame. Um, that would be a big shame. It, it would be a, a big shame. But I did want to talk about like, oh, one other thing I wanted to say actually was that I, I also really like Stephanie Dolson with the, the Laney, Sabrina, John Quill group because I just think, you know, Sabrina kind of needs all the spacing that she can get. And, and Dolson is obviously going to provide a lot of valuable floor spacing. She's a great shooter for her position, as we've mentioned a couple times. You know, Stewart, I think, is more of kind of a mid-range operator as much as, you know, she's a great post player and stuff like that. She kind of has her spots, and, and those spots are kind of going to get got to no matter who's on the court, I think. Yeah. Where John Quell and Sabrina, like, if you're going kind of heavy pick and roll, that could be something where you just you need a little bit of extra floor spacing you need the core opened up a little bit more so Dolson I think would help out with that but I'm sure she's gonna play with either center when the other is or either big when the other is not on the floor but did want to bring that up we want to talk about Benajelani right because it's hard to imagine her role on this team being 
similar to the role she's had on the team the previous two seasons. It, it's hard to just imagine her role on this team. I, I have no idea what it's going to look like, truly. Like, how is she being maximized as a player offensively, specifically as a player, you know, playing off the ball a pretty decent amount? You know, you think about this potentially being the number one, number two offense in the league. What is Benajelani kind of doing to help drive that offense to super high efficiency? And, and I'm not saying that in a yeah. she's not going to way, but like truly just like what does it look like? Like what, what are the things that she's going to do out there to kind of contribute to that? And that's the thing, like for as for as awesome as Benajelani's uh, rise to stardom has been over the past few seasons, she has never been a player who has been driving super efficient offense. And if I mean, she's never in, really played on a good offense. Yeah, that, well, yeah, so that goes hand in hand, I think. But you bring in all these incredible offensive players, she's gonna go back to being more of a complimentary piece. Like if, if you were to rank the overall impact of the offensive players on this team. Where would Laney rank? Like fifth? I think... It'd have to be fifth, right? I, I would say so. Okay. So what is she doing as the fifth best offensive player in this team? Like, she's never been that great of a spot-up shooter. Of course, the bubble season, but we... You know, it's been well-documented what we think about shooters in the bubble. You know, I mean, she's had the ball in her hands a ton. A 20, ton. 2021, of course, was not a super effective catch and shoot season for her she was 30 percent on pretty decent volume you know relative to the WNBA it may be uh Laney defenders you know might point to the knee injury as to why that kind of tanked late later in the season I'm definitely willing to to kind of consider that you know maybe just being healthy she's going to be able to hit those spot up threes but it's also not a shot that she seems to feel overly comfortable taking at a, at a high level historically it just hasn't really been there for her yeah, I think that's that's very fair to say. So, I mean, no matter what, like it, it's going to look a lot different than the player that averaged, you know, five assists and four turnovers on 26% usage in 2021. Like there's just no way she's going to have the ball in her hands as much as that player did. And, you know, this is something that we've kind of circled back to a few times when Benajelani was signed to this team and prior to the 2021 season, you know, one of the things I kind of asked was like, if, if everything from that bubble season where she was awesome. She just truly blossomed as an offensive yeah, player in every way, basically as, as a pick and roll player, you know, making pocket passes and hitting jump shots. You know, if everything from that season was real outside of the shooting and in her last 250 attempts outside of the bubble, she's 30% on 215 attempts. Like if everything else was real besides that, you know, how, what does that player really look like in terms of, contributing to like we're saying a team with championship ambitions that wants to be the best or second best offense in the league it does have to come with hitting spot up threes of course when she's playing with the the best players you know being more of a tertiary on ball creator like when you're playing with Courtney Vandersloot and Sabrina Ionescu like you're probably not even going to be and Brianna Stewart for that matter you're probably not even going to be like a secondary creator really embracing I think an off ball game as a screener and as a cutter Two things I think she can do well if she embraces them, like, for sure, because she she has, you know, when she's played that way, she has a good floor game, she is a good screener, she can cut with intensity, and she's a great finisher inside when she's kind of catching and finishing. Getting those quick duck-ins on smaller defenders, uh, I think she's actually a pretty underrated post player. Like, she can really go to work down there. You look at her She's po- really strong. You look at her points per possession, and, and she's way up there in post-ups. And, you know, when you're playing around Stephanie Dolson and... Brianna Stewart and John Quill Jones, like you're going to have space to just kind of take a little, a smaller defender down there. And then, you know, like we were saying, maybe taking some, some playmaking burden off of the, the ball handlers on the second unit. But I mean, I don't know. It's, it's going to look very different than the, I think the player that she kind of signed up for when she took a, you know, signed for a max contract here two off seasons ago. Uh, you talk about, you talk about being a playmaker to take the burden off their other playmakers, but they have, more than one playmaker so i'm not sure how much that actually how much of an impact that actually has because like she she's gonna have to be extremely opportunistic with her shot selection you know otherwise i'm not sure how often i'm gonna want her shooting the basketball because what is a what does a shot from benajelani look like that isn't going to be a better shot from somebody else on the floor you know what i'm getting at here especially if that's a lot of those pull-up 19 footers Cause it, exactly exactly because it's not like she's just playing with Sabrina Unescu. It's not like she's just playing with Brianna Stewart. 
She's playing with Sabrina Ionescu, Brianna Stewart, John Paul Jones, and Courtney Vandersloot. And Marine Johannes, who I, and you know, Johannes, is yeah, probably exactly. a better offensive player just in a vacuum. Exactly, exactly. So she's going to go back to being a, I mean, I would think she's going to go back to being a much lower usage player. And on players, for players with lower usage, you know, ideally the efficiency needs to rise significantly for that to be a thing. Is there any chance that either her or, you know, maybe it's Sabrina or, I mean, th- those I think are really the only two, like, presumed starters that, is there any chance, given good health, that one of those two players are not closing games in the, the absolute biggest moments for this team? Well, I think a lot of that has to depend on what Laney's role is going to be, but well, who else I, would be close? Yeah, I guess the other two options would be Maureen Johannes or, or Kayla Thorin. Like, right. those are the only, you have, I guess seven players who could close games for this team in five spots. I don't think right? Thornton would close over Laney. I don't think Thornton would close over Laney. I could see the uh, the case for Johannes because you just have a ton of floor spacing and a ton of shot making and just knock out the opponent with incredible offense. I think they're going to be banking on, on Laney's defense being better than it was the previous two seasons. Yeah, I mean, if Laney is the defender that she was in Indiana, there's no reason to close games with Kayla Thornton, right? Right, because they, they would be doing basically the same thing. The counter that I might say is just that even if Kayla Thornton gives you less offense than Laney, that player just as like a a 16 to 18% usage player might just might make a little bit more sense. A a player who doesn't need the ball in their hands as much. But if I think over the past three seasons, we've seen higher highs from Benajah Laney as an offensive player, obviously I think that goes without saying. And I think, Defenses are, are much more likely to respect Benajah Laney as a fifth player than they are Kayla Thornton as a fifth player. You know, Kayla Thornton is just rock solid, like 34% shooting. She's basically going to give you that from three every single season on, on catch and shoots. And that's not really an amazing number. Uh, and Laney kind of has a little bit more highs and a little bit more lows. But, you know, Laney, I mean, this goes for basically like every player in the league, but you know, they've never played around this much offensive talent. So the looks are basically going to be as, as good as you could possibly ask them for. So uh, it would not be surprising if Laney was able to, you know, bounce back as a shooter, got some really good looks, embraced those shots as a three point shooter, didn't kind of turn them down for, you know, one dribble pull ups from 19 feet. Yeah. Those shots need to go. Those shots need to go, especially within the, within the context of, of this offensive talent. Um, what I can see happening is uh, her, you know, standing in the corner and then attacking closeouts, because you already mentioned how good she is at the post. You already managed how good she, you already mentioned how good she is, um, kind of putting smaller defenders in the goal. So um, it has to be a multifaceted approach. I don't and, want and to cutting too. I, I can definitely yeah. see her like really maximizing herself as a cutter. So like even if we're saying like okay, Benajelani is not an efficient offensive player. She shouldn't shoot the ball as often. I still think the offensive ceiling with her on the floor is higher than. The offensive ceiling with Kayla Thornton on the floor. What about Marine Johannes? That's a completely different thing. Because, like I said, you're you're playing you're playing three guards and you're just like totally disregarding defense. Yeah, I I think that's. Fair. I would like to see it. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. Um. I mean, we've we've talked a lot about how uh, how offense wins championships in this league. Like you you kind of have to very recently maximize yourself as an offense. Um. You know, none of these players are someone that I would want guarding a Kelsey Plum or a Jackie Young, but I don't know, is, is Laney that much of a difference maker defensively? Probably, I guess, maybe. I don't know. It's I would feel comfortable leaving Laney on, on Jackie Young, maybe. Kelsey Plum, I'm, I'm not sure anybody can guard Kelsey Plum right now, so I don't think that's really a... Yeah, that's true. We're talking about unguardable players, basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Ch- uh, Chelsea Gray definitely deserves to be mentioned in that category as well. All right, should we get to strengths and weaknesses here? Well, there are a lot of strengths. This team has a lot of star talent, Steven. Yeah, superstars, you know, superstar bigs we can even start with. They have the players that we both had number one and number four in the entire league when we did top 10 players in the league, you know, six months ago or whatever it was, but not too much has changed since then. Playing together in the front court and players that I think there's no reason to think that their games are not going to fit exceedingly well together. You know, they've, they've played overseas before. I think you have a natural four and a natural five to whatever extent that even exists in Brianna Stewart and John Quell Jones. I mean, yeah, two two great superstar bigs and the floor spacing that those bigs and Stephanie Dolson provide as just, you know, 
like like we kind of mentioned, you're never going to have to play a pair of bigs that can't both space. Or both in the paint. Yeah. All three of those players shot 37% from three or better last season, over 37% from three for their careers. You know, great reputation of shooters. You know, they've just really kind of proved themselves over the, over the course of their long careers so far. Honestly, I think you could say Brianna Stewart just compliments any player, any frontcourt player, but with John Cole Jones, I mean, they're not going to be occupying the same space on the floor. I mean, you could say the same about John Cole Jones. You know, she's played power forward and center at a high level the past couple of seasons. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, this this combination is going to be incredible. Um, on both ends of the floor, really. You know, I think there are some questions about John Cole's defensive versatility, but on, on offense, I mean, it's just going to be a buzzsaw. It's it's going to be really difficult to help off or to double team either of these players, really, because of just not only their front court partner, but all the other offensive talent on the floor as well. Yeah, I think maybe whoever's playing that that small forward position that that might they're, be they're going to get disrespected in some, in some that, that might be where the double comes from uh passing there's I, just no other options you know obviously passing is going to be a major major strength for this team they might have the, just the greatest number of high leverage passers in the entire league you know we have the obvious ones courtney vandersloot sabrina inescu marine johannes like those are you know three of the best passing guards in in the league like Besides Chelsea Gray, like those might be three out of the four best passing guards in the league. Am I forgetting someone obvious? As far as value added passing, um, from I mean, Marine is not going to be like a player who you just like run the offense through time and time again. But no, I mean, but she, she she's gonna she's gonna take those those risks that will get baskets um, when most other players wouldn't be able to make those passes. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, some of the you know bounce passes to rollers that she makes and stuff like that, like just incredible stuff. Like Brianna Stewart, we mentioned one of the best passing bigs in the league, if not the best passing big in the league. Maybe you know behind Candace Parker, Brittany Griner. Like those are really the only other players I think that are kind of in her neighborhood I would say maybe above Stewart as a passer but also play a much different passing game I would say than than she does John Quill Jones has expanded her game as a passer the last few years Steph Dolson is an excellent passer for her position Benajah Laney you know averaged five assists just a couple seasons ago like she can certainly make plays with the ball in her hands if maybe she turns it over a little bit too much but she's a, a plus passer for sure I think you could say as a small forward yeah I'd agree with that uh, rim protection got to be a strength. You know they have John Quill Jones who blocks a lot of shots. Uh, maybe a little bit of a disappointing defensive season last year, but very very effective defending the rim. Brianna Stewart, for my money, probably the best weak side help rotator in the entire league. Just coming over and, and protecting the rim as well. I mean these two together. I kind of wish that there was just more defensive talent on the perimeter because like this should really. When you have John Quill Jones and, and Brandon Stewart together, like you should be the best defense in the league, but I just I don't think they have the perimeter talent to, to get there. Yeah, they're gonna be cleaning up a lot on the interior, but you're right, they complement each other very well. I think I think John Quill Jones is just gonna be able to just kind of stay home in most cases or, or play drop coverage because you know, just Brianna Stewart's presence as a help defender. I agree with you. I think she's the best help defender in the league. And then whatever she doesn't she because she's gonna be creating havoc out there, and then whatever she doesn't affect John Cole Jones is going to be able to, for the most part, deter attempts at the rim, if not just outright deny them. So yeah, this is going to be, <laughs> just imagine the possibilities on defense. Um, pick and roll play. You know, they have four capable to great pick and roll perimeter players, you know, in obviously the two point guards, Marine and Benajelani, you know, Benajelani can run a pick and roll for as much as we've been kind of questioning what the fit in the offense overall might look like like you know she could she can definitely do that you know she's a plus passer i would say out of the pick and roll brianna stewart you know can run a pick and roll uh, stewart was can we get like a four or five pick and roll with stewart and jones please or a four two pick and roll with stewart and sabrina unescu with stewart handling the ball she she's one of the only bigs in the league you'd actually want running a pick and roll as a ball handler uh, she was in the 94th percentile last year as a pick-and-roll ball handler. That's unfair. Uh, she was the only player in the league last season, Eric, with 40 possessions as the pick-and-roll ball handler and 40 possessions as the pick-and-roll roller. So, you know, Brianna Stewart has she's, she's a lot of versatility to her game. Uh, but both Stewart and John Quill Jones, I think, are also, you know, they can do it both ways, right? They can dive to the basket and score from as a pick-and-roll big. They can pop out and space the floor as a pick-and-roll big. Dolson was 
kind of uncharacteristically terrible as a pick and pop player last year, but there's no reason to think she won't be the player that she's always been there, you know, prior to that year. So yeah, I imagine that a team with those players and, and the guards that they have are going to be pretty good in the pick and roll. Any other strengths or should we go to uh, weaknesses? Just, just overall dribble penetration and creation off the bounce. Like I think they have, if there wasn't a team in Vegas, like they have everything you need to kind of be that elite offense. That is what separates we, we've kind of said it before, like every team has a star big and kind of what separates you after that star big is what your guards can do. They have what you need your guards to do. It's just another team maybe has that a little bit more, but yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring up Vegas because I mean, first of all, these two teams are going to be compared with each other every day of this season for the rest of the season. Uh, it's just inevitable. Um, I think, you know, they both kind of take the same approach and that they have multiple players who can create shots at levels that no other teams can. Um, I think the Vegas perimeter players just have more juice off the dribble, while New York has more value-added passing for others. Is yeah, and, and maybe more self-creation in Vegas. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah, for sure. That's kind of what I meant. Yeah, but also, I mean, Kelsey Plum can just get all the way to the rim, and I, I think, and finish oversized. As much as I think these two guards are good at that, when you're kind of comparing them to the league at large, Plum, yeah, Plum is, just, is just kind of at a league of, yeah, league of her own. Uh, right yeah, I, that, that's kind of what I was getting at. Uh, what are their weaknesses? Um, I think, as we mentioned, perimeter defense is going to be a concern. Uh, UNESCO has not really had a good defensive season yet in her WNBA career. Uranus Lute, I think, is serviceable. I think her defense is actually a little underrated, but you don't really have anybody out there who is a defensive stopper. Like, who, who are you putting on the opponent's top perimeter score I, I don't see an obvious candidate like it's got to be laney right yeah i mean you just have starting in a three you get yeah whoever that's small for you just have to hope that laney is that player because they they kind of lack that and beyond that i they they kind of lack perimeter specialists in that way like they don't really have like i was saying before with the dd richards thing like they don't have you know it's it's the first game of a playoff series and and you know, you're kind of going offense, defense at the end of the game. Like, who are you taking Sabrina Inescu out for on defense to make sure that you get a stop? Uh, they, they just don't really have that player, I don't think. And, you know, maybe, again, they hope Willoughby turns into that player or Dee Richards turns into that player, but they don't really have anyone that we know can be that player. They don't have Brian January or something like that. And just overall perimeter depth, really. For as much high-level creation that this team has and being able to play 40 minutes of good initiating there's not really a bench point guard in this roster. Like you're going to play Courtney Vandersloot as your backup point. I mean, as your starting point guard, and then your starting shooting guard as your backup point guard, you know? So if, if one of those two, you know, misses even five games, like how are you kind of driving second unit offenses? I, I just have no idea. I think, I think in this podcast, we were generally in favor of staggering good players in your starting lineup, but this is like, this is a no brainer to the point where it might be a weakness. They're uh, they're going to turn the ball over a lot, I think, Eric. <laughs> Is that fair to say with uh, Sabrina and, and yeah. Courtney Vandersloot and Maureen Johannes? Well, that's what we always say about evaluated passing. You know, players who take these risks are inevitably going to turn the ball over more than players who don't take the risks. It's not going to be. I don't think I don't think it's going to hurt them when you stack it up against the offense, the extra offense that they're going to be creating. But yeah, there are going to be games in which they're just racking up turnovers like nobody's business. That's for sure. What else do we have here? They don't force turnovers. Well. I mean, we don't know yet, but they weren't very good at forcing turnovers last season. They were 11th in opposing turnover rate. Um, I mean, I do think Brianna Stewart can force turnovers. Uh, Van Sloot can get some steals. She, she, her steal rate is always pretty decent. John Quell's steal rate is, is always pretty decent. One thing I think in, in your favor on this is that Brondello teams never force turnovers generally, Like especially when our teams are good. I think they, I mean, granted, like, a Brittany Griner, Diana Taurasi exactly, team exactly. Like, probably looks a lot different defensively than what this Liberty team is going to do. It's going to be a lot more conservative, but I don't. I just don't know if they're going to be able if they're going to be playing a very aggressive defensive game. Yeah, I wonder because I do think that Brianna Stewart is more. You know, she's better served playing an aggressive defensive scheme than kind of. I agree. You know, you you want her sort of wreaking havoc on the perimeter more than playing like a drop coverage. You know, John Quell, she's more of a drop player, but Brianna Stewart, you know, I think I think that might be one thing that you see here where if opposing teams put Brianna Stewart in a pick and roll, you hard hedge or you trap, or you you get Brianna Stewart making plays in the perimeter, and if they put John Quell Jones in the pick and roll, like she's going to use her size to just kind of defend at the rim. 
that's what I would imagine. Um, but you know, we'll I guess we'll see. I do think this team they they do have two players in this starting group who playoff defenses can kind of dare to shoot a little bit as much as two of them. I mean, Vandersloot is not an amazing catch and shoot player, you know. That's true. But I think she's she's shown to be capable and, and definitely timely. You know, she she really showed up in big moments in their their finals run. So, uh, but if she goes cold, you know, in a playoff series, I don't think I would be absolutely floored that Courtney Vandersloot stopped hitting jump shots. And then you know whoever is playing small forward for them, unless it's Ranger Hannes, I think relative to their major competition, Eric, maybe this is just unfair, but relative to the aces, I think coaching is a weakness. I think Becky Hammond is just a better coach than Sandy Brondello. Is that is it too early to say that after one season? Well, um, heading into the season, I, I don't see how you could argue against that. The thing I will say is that um, Sandy Brondello has never coached this team before, so I can't say she's going to do a horrible job. Oh, I don't think she'll do a horrible job. Um, you know, coaching is something that you kind of need to evaluate on a year-by-year basis. And and Brondello, like, this this group is just so much different and has so much more potential than the group that Brondello had last season. I mean, you could, po- you could point to the opposing turnover rate and say, okay, maybe that's just not in Sandy Brondello's coaching philosophy. But, um, I mean, if they get if they play to the one seed, it's like, you can't I, say I Sandy mean, it's, Brondello. It's the best roster that she's coached since 2014. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Exactly, sure. But heading into the season, last season, Becky Hammond had a better season than Brundella did, without a doubt. Uh, do you think it's fair to say that they're a little bit light on spot-up shooting, especially from the perimeter, particularly from the bench? Do, do you think they, I guess, have enough there? Um, well, on the perimeter, I mean, you've got Dolson who can shoot the three pretty It's well so funny the that season. their bigs are just like generally better shooters than Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I could see Willoughby having a good shooting season from the perimeter. Um, but again, like how much is she going to play? Maybe, maybe Prince gets hot for a few games, but you're right. Until Johannes comes over there, there's really no like dead eye spot up three point shooter out there. Yeah. I mean, Thornton, Didi, Laney, like none of these players are really instilling. Like they're fear. okay. Yeah. They're capable. At least most of them are. But I would say like, that's at least something that I'm going to keep my eye on. You know, who off the bench non-marine category is hitting threes from the perimeter because Dolson, you know, like we said, she'll, she'll definitely do that. Yeah. Anything else? Um, I'm interested to see how what, what kind of a start this team gets off to because once again, I'm going to compare them to the Aces because that's just inevitable. Um, this is a team that basically overhauled everything in favor of a tremendously successful offseason. They got a ton of star talent. They're going to be favored, uh, if not the favorite one of the two favorites to win the WNBA title. Um, but their main competition is going to be a team that is basically running it back only at at, at Candace Parker and Alicia Clark. So, you know, I, I think when you, yes, all this value-added playmaking is, is an excellent thing, um, but I think there's going to be a little bit of a transition period, especially with no, uh, especially if we're waiting for Marine Johannes to show up. So it could take them like a, like a few weeks to really figure out their, their chemistry and their, their passing. Cause like Stephen Sabrina Unescu has been used to being like the go-to player on this team. I, I mean, season. is she, her and Laney, I guess are like the big adjustment points here because yeah. Sloot and Brianna Stewart and John Quill Jones, like they know each other. They've, they've played high they've played leverage overseas, games yeah. together and, you know, very meaningful games, I think. So, you know, it's been a little bit longer for John Quell than the other two who are currently playing together still. But, you know, I think, I don't know. I, I feel like those three, together you kind of feel pretty good about it so, so you don't think like overpassing early on could be an issue no i i could see that you know just trying to make one extra pass you know play a little bit too unselfishly we said the same thing with vegas adding candace parker sure. who's you know at this point kind of more of a a passing player than like kind of getting her own offense uh you know just kind of getting acclimated to everybody i think anytime you're assembling this level of of high-end talent and it's players that basically you know, with the exception of the, the two players that were here last year, you know, they all kind of bought in together. I, I don't think mm-hmm. Brianna Stewart and Courtney Vandersloot signing with New York is a huge surprise to John Quill Jones, and maybe she's not getting what she signed up for or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. Um, you know, so I, I could definitely see, you know, everyone, they've, they've made the commitment to make it work, and they like you're saying, they're just kind of trying a little bit too hard to acquiesce and, and kind of, you know, 
make the right play and just one pass too many and no one's asserting themselves and, and kind of dominating when they maybe have to. One thing I just want to say quick, like I wonder how this team plays against like the Washington Mystics, a team that has such serious flaws, but I, I feel like Washington can just like really just, you know, they, they don't have the athleticism to play. You know, they, they play Washington opening sure. night. Like I could definitely see this team like losing by 15, you know, opening night against a team that just plays with such defensive intensity and has like a major athleticism advantage on the perimeter. You um, know, I think that other opponents are going to come at them like that. Yeah, but Washington, I feel like, is not good well, enough I mean, to beat Washington them in a series. Washington is the best but, to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, that, that's basically it. Like that, that to me is one that I've just been kind of like circling my mind, you know, how, how they kind of deal with that uh, with their perimeter players. But thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, please do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at Namchak E or myself at Trinkwald. And we'll be back next week uh, after the draft. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really, really appreciate it. Um, Take care, and uh, you'll hear from us again soon.